1: Yesterday, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday in all of its glory, reminded again of the triumph that we have over sin through Christ. We'll take a look at just what that triumph is over as we begin today's broadcast. ¶¶ And welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today we begin a series looking at sin. It's a simple series called The Reality of Sin. We find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3 as we are reminded again of just what it was Jesus conquered when we celebrated his resurrection from the grave yesterday. The importance of our understanding the reality of sin helps us better understand the glory of the resurrection and why it is we rest in Christ all the more. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner in Genesis 3 with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
2: We can't talk about a subject any more important than that which is the focal point here of Genesis 3, and that is the subject of sin. It's not the most pleasing thing to talk about. It's also not the most pleasant thing to hear preached about. But understanding what the Bible says about sin is absolutely essential to an understanding of what the Bible says about yourself and about life. As a matter of fact, you cannot understand the Bible itself or Christ and His redeeming work if you do not understand the origin, the nature, and the effects of sin. And once again, beloved, this is not some kind of irrelevant theological treatise that I will be presenting to you over the next few weeks. This is as practical and as personal as we can get, because the point of dealing with the subject of sin is to answer the question, what is wrong with the world? Like what's going on in the Middle East? Why is our economy as fouled up as it is? Why are we killing babies in their mother's womb? Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But even more personal, the subject of sin deals with the question, what's wrong with us? Why do we do the things in our lives that we later regret? Why is there so much hate? Why are there so many suicides? And why is there so much drug and alcohol abuse? What is wrong with us? And I'm not talking about the person that's sitting next to you. I'm talking about you. What's wrong with you? that is what the subject of sin deals with and it doesn't matter whether you are a christian or not now please keep in mind i'm not trying to put forth what the i'm not trying to put forth what i have to say about this i'm trying to tell you what the bible says about this subject i'm not going to express my own opinion or the opinion of the elders of this church I'm going to try and set forth as closely and as practically and as personally as I possibly can what the Bible says about you and the sin in your life. So let's begin to delve into the subject. There are several issues we're going to look at today and next week, and probably the week after that. The origin of sin, what is temptation like? What should you expect from it? How can you resist it? We'll look at the character of sin, what actually is sin, and how you can identify it. How did sin spread so rapidly throughout the whole human race so that everyone on earth that has ever lived and will ever live, except for Jesus, is a sinner? Why is it that death has spread throughout the whole human race so that every person throughout the whole human race except two men in the Old Testament, has died and will die. The subject of sin answers all of these questions. And first of all, its origin. Where did it come from? Well, one thing the Old Testament and New Testament make unmistakably clear is, it did not, it did not originate with God. Let me give you a quote from both the Old Testament and the New Testament to prove my point. In the Old Testament, from the book of Job, we read, Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Then in the New Testament, it is expressed even more clearly in James chapter 1, where we read, God is light. In him is no darkness at all, and he cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone with evil. And the way the Christian actually professes it is, God is not the author of sin. Now, don't understand me. Like everything else, sin is under the control of God. Sin is a terrible thing. God may not be the author of it, but I assure you, my dear friends, God is the controller of it every day in your life. The Bible says the wrath of the wicked pleases him. He can even turn the sinful wrath of an angry man to work for the good of his people. You see a great example of this, of course, in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, where he by his jealous brothers, was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery, them thinking they had rid themselves of him, him, and yet God used all of that to get Joseph down into Egypt, where he would then be Pharaoh's number one man, and thereby through that save his whole family from famine, even his brothers that had persecuted him. And, of course, Joseph said, what you planned for evil, God planned for good. So although God is too holy and too pure to be the author of evil, nevertheless, evil is under the control of God. So where did sin come from as far as the human race is concerned? Well, the, answer, and the Bible answers that question for us in Genesis 3. It says that sin in the human race originated with Satan, the tempter. Now, we don't know a great deal about Satan as far as his origin is concerned. We do know, as the book of Jude tells us, that Satan fell from a lofty place into a place of rebellion because of his envy toward God. But regardless of his origin, the Bible makes clear that the serpent that spoke to Eve, tempting her to sin, was none other than Satan himself in the form of that serpent. Now, we need to understand something about Satan. He is a created being. He is not merely the figment of someone's imagination. And he's not some red guy with horns and a tail... But he is a real created being. God created Satan. When God created him, the Bible leads us to believe that he was a perfect being. But he fell into sin. Remember, Satan is finite. He is created. Apparently, he's more powerful than we are in many ways. When we stand and try to fight him in our own strength... We are unable to do so. Face to face, he has more power than us in and of ourselves. But nevertheless, he is limited. He has his bounds. Now that is contrary to the opinion of many people in this world. Satan worshipers as well as Christians. And by the way, way I read just recently... That in most metropolitan cities, the number one crime that the police force has to deal with is related to Satan worshipers. What do Satan worshipers believe? They believe many things the same as what many so-called Bible-believing fundamental Christians believe. That Satan is everywhere. Absolutely not. Only God is everywhere. It is blasphemous to believe that any created being is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. Satan worshipers and many so-called Bible believers say Satan knows everything. No, God is the only one who is omniscient. And it is blasphemous to attribute omniscience to any created being. They say Satan can do anything. No, Satan has bounds set by God himself. Only God can do anything. Satan is not omnipresent, he is not omniscient, or is he all-powerful or omnipotent? Now, understand from the start, beloved, Satan is no rival to God. He is a rebel in God's universe, and God does not view him as a rival. God does not sit up in heaven, wringing his hands, saying, Oh my, I wonder how this is all going to turn out. I wonder if I'm going to be able to keep Satan under control, or is he going to come up with some plan that I haven't thought of that will ultimately overturn everything that I'm trying to do in this world? No. The Bible says in Psalm 2, "...the kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, let us break free from the change of their moral order, and let's cast the moral order of God away from us." And of course, those beings are under the control of Satan outside of Christ. And the next verse says, that he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. When Satan raises his puny fist in the face of God, and he seeks to assault God's moral order, what does it say God does? He cackles at all of the efforts of this created being to try and thwart the sovereignty of the Almighty God. So make sure, my friends, that in your own mind, you don't have any blasphemous thoughts about Satan. In some ways, yes, face to face, he is more powerful than we are. But he is nevertheless a created being, and he is no rival to God. And there is nothing about him whatsoever for anyone to admire... He is notoriously and totally evil. There is no good redeeming features about him at all. There are no admirable traits about him. Satan is completely and outrageously evil, and he should be hated by all of us. And his goal is that he seeks to reach in your life, and that is, his goal is to seek in your life, to inject a distrust of God and an unbelief of God in your heart that it might produce disobedience to God in your behavior. Now understand, that is what he seeks to do. To inject a little seed of doubt concerning God, a little seed of distrust, of distrust in God, a little seed of unbelief in God's word in your heart that it might then take root and produce covert disobedience to God in your life. And if you let it go, it will eventually destroy you. That's why the Bible says what it does in James and 1 Peter. And you might want to look at these verses with me, because you and I must take seriously the fact that we are in a war. And this war includes combat with Satan himself. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, we see that the one who tempted Adam and Eve is still on the scene today. Remember, we've learned on previous occasion that Christ has guaranteed Christians victory over Satan through his resurrection... But nevertheless, he is still on the scene, still trying to implant in your heart and mind neglect of God's Word, doubt in God's Word, mistrust in God's providence, disbelief in God's promises that might produce disobedience and rebellion in your life and in and of yourself. You do not have the power to resist him. So look at James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There it says, you can resist Satan and he will flee from you. But to resist him, you've got to submit to God. You've got to stay close to God and pray that God will cleanse the sin of your life. And you must repent of those sins. There is no other way to deal successfully with Satan. You put yourself at risk under satanic influence when you do not stay close to God and submit to yourself and act in faith and believe in his word and seek to deal with the sin in your life. If you neglect those things, you let them go, you let your relationship with him slip, and you come under the influence of Satan himself. But if you resist him in faith, staying close to God and praying, he will flee from you. Now, I'm sure you've had the experience on one or more occasions of going to see someone and having to deal with their dogs. One time, I went to this family's house, and their poodle came to the door. He was barking like crazy, and he was showing me his teeth to keep me out of his master's home. I looked down at that poodle and said, hey! And that poodle, all 10 pounds, tucked tail and ran. Well, that is what Satan does when we stay close to God. Satan shows his teeth. He thinks he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he will come up to you in your life and he'll growl and he'll show his teeth. But if you are submissive to God, you are staying close to God, then you can resist him and he will talk, tail, and run, and show you the coward that in fact he is. But if you try to deal with him in your own strength, you'll find that he is a lion, and he will not only devour you, he will devour your loved ones, he will devour everything you have built for yourselves, he will devour your future, and he will eat you up along with everything you love and enjoy. If you do not stay close to God. So Satan is a reality. And we must deal with him the way the Bible says. To act in faith. As Peter actually says in 5. First Peter says in, in chapters 5, six, 6 through 9. To stay close to him. And repent of our sins. And to never adjust to those sins. Now. What did Satan do to inject unbelief and sin into the world? Well, he tempted Adam and Eve. Let me ask you another question before I go any further. God is in control of all things, right? God has ordained whatever comes to pass, right? I mean, God planned out everything before the world was created. He is in absolute control of everything. Nothing happens unless God wants it to happen. Right? So why in the world did he not stop the fall? Why in the world didn't he keep Adam and Eve from yielding to temptation? If he controls everything, why in the world didn't he put a stop to the fall and temptation and not let it happen, which has weakened and wrecked and made havoc, as well as death, throughout the whole human race. I'll tell you why. And this is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says, Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds, all the more. The reason God permitted and foreordained the fall was so he might give us in his mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ more blessings and greater riches of life than we ever lost in Adam's by Adam's sin. You and I would never know the riches of God's grace and God's mercy and what God can do for a sinner in overcoming our sin and the sin in the universe, if you hadn't seen God do it for yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. So the next time someone asks you, well, if your God is in control of things, why didn't he stop the fall? Just say, God had a very good reason for the fall of man. In fact, it was a part of his plan. For where sin abounds... Grace abounds all the more. Because you see, God wanted to put us in a position where we would get far greater riches and blessings of salvation in Christ than the human race ever lost by Adam's sin. We're better off now as Christians, my friends, than Adam was before he ate the fruit. Do you know why we're better off? Before Adam ate of the fruit and disobeyed God. He had a heart and a human nature that was inclined to do good. But he was capable of falling away from that condition. Christians are incapable of falling away from a state of grace. The Bible says that Christ puts us in His hand and no one can snatch us from His hand. The Bible says in Romans 8 that the love of God so embraces us that neither life nor death, time or eternity, sword nor any other created thing can ever, ever, ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam's heart was bent toward doing good, but he was different than we are. He had the capacity to fall from that glorious state. But our God, now that we are Christians, is able to keep us from falling. So, beloved, don't look back with regrets and say, Oh, Lord, if you just hadn't planned the fall. Oh, Lord, if you just could have stopped Adam and Eve from eating from that fruit. No. It was a part of his plan to show us what a great, loving, merciful God he is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another goal of Satan and temptation. Why did God, why why did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? Why does Satan tempt all of us to this very day? Well, I already said, and you and I need to keep this in mind... Satan tempts you to put unbelief in your mind that will lead to disobedience in your life. And keep in mind, he always does it exactly the same way he did in Adam's life. Satan is not innovative. He always works through the same plans. He always uses the same strategies and tactics ever since that very first temptation in the Garden of Eden. He has come up with absolutely nothing new sense. Of course, he really didn't need to. That one always works, and that is to assault the character and the goodness of God before us. Satan tries to lead us to mistrust God by trying to get us to think lowly of Him, to distrust Him, To say, well, God is not as good as he says he is. You know, God is not as powerful as he said he is. God's providence really can't be trusted. And God certainly can't do this for me. So there must be some weaknesses or flaws in God. Whenever Satan seeks to implant doubt in our minds...